How do you define humour? Humour creates laughter, but actually sometimes you don't even need something humorous to happen. My heart rate has increased, yeah, I can't yeah. lie. That's, <laughs> good. that's all right, that's okay. Yeah. Never speak to undertakers. There we go. <laughs> and there's no greater connection I seek than if I can get a smile out of somebody. The one thing I can say, humour isn't. Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hi, I'm Amelia Vegting. And I'm Jez Francis. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Being Human podcast, where Amelia and I explore what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. So, Amelia, I've hardly seen you in the last few weeks. Tell everyone what you've been up to. (laughs) I know. It's great to be back in the studio, but it has been an exciting couple of months. Um, A little while back, I was in Singapore for the first time, meeting our Just Add Water team over there. It was brilliant to see our offices, meet them in person rather than over Zoom, like I have been doing for the last three years. They showed me around the city and just, you know, shared all sorts of things about what they've been up to. It was really great to meet them. And then you were on a holiday in Bali, weren't you? So come on, what did you enjoy most about that trip? I know, it was absolutely fantastic. Two highlights would have to be going snorkelling with manta rays and turtles. There's something very angelic about watching those creatures in the sea. Oh, don't you imagine. Whilst we're all flapping about at the, <laughs> the top of the <laughs> yeah. water. Yeah. Not nearly as graceful, but it, it was just brilliant. And so with all that going on, let me ask you, did you manage to find time to do any reading, which was your habit, if you recall, from uh, our yes. episode with Alice? Yes, I did. I do think there's something about a beach and a sun lounger that sets yourself up very well for reading. Um, so I did manage to finish my book. Um, called Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, which was absolutely brilliant. And I think if maybe I need to read another book, perhaps I should book another holiday. That sounds like (laughs) that's how I'm going to keep up my habit. Um, But I would highly recommend that read. It was really good. Good. Okay, so one to add to my reading list then. Absolutely. And then you were back in the UK briefly before you headed off on a job in China. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, it was a Just Add Water job in Shanghai where we produced a three-day conference for one of our global clients. I mean, it was extremely hard work, Mm -hmm. but incredibly rewarding um, and always incredible to see the whole event come together. Um, One of my roles was managing the content of which the majority was in Mandarin. So that was a first and a a first for me and and a big challenge, but a really, really great experience. And, you know, hopefully we'll be back out there soon. Well, look, whilst you and some of the team were flying the flag abroad, I've been busy helping to look after things here, Mm. um, including excitingly off the back of a conversation that we had on the podcast with Ben a few episodes ago, some sessions for one of our clients on how to nurture creativity amongst their leaders, which was an awful lot of fun. Um, On the home front, Lily, my daughter, has finished her GCSE exams, which is lovely for her. She's looking forward to a carefree summer spent mucking about with her friends. And my band, The Wasters, well, we've played a series of gigs, including a little mini festival birthday party that involved a a stage, you know, a big marquee tent, some bars, uh, some food stuff going on, a dance floor, a big fire. So that was great. So we're waiting for Glastonbury to call. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But all that aside, it's lovely to have you back here and to be recording the podcast again. Shall we get into today's topic? Absolutely. A while back, we asked you, our listeners, which themes you'd like us to explore and the strong favourite by a country mile was humour. So that's what we're going to get into today. (laughs) 
Now, the temptation to try and say something funny now is compelling. Uh, and um, I know how much you love my jokes, Amelia, but yes. the subject of humour is so much more broad than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really glad um, you've said that because I will admit when we first started talking about humour as a subject, I was initially a little bit nervous because I suddenly, I don't know, I just felt this pressure to have to try and be really funny, funny. from sort of a stand-up comedic sense and that's yeah. just not something that I think I would describe myself as naturally so um, yeah really good point yeah now I know exactly what you mean and I'm sure there's going to be people out there who would feel the same way but that's the thing about humor I think as a subject and why I think it's a great one to discuss mm. uh, in that there's just so much to it it's so nuanced in so many ways you know there's something really magical that happens when you know, we're able to welcome more levity and lightheartedness into our lives, both at work and at home, uh, and even in the most difficult situations as well. Over the years, I've seen humour used both consciously and, and less consciously, uh, diffuse tension, build bridges, you know, help create a sense of belonging. It's a real superpower, I think. And I'm keen to learn more about why that is and how to harness it. This is a fascinating and really interesting subject. And I think Actually, what would be good is to introduce our guest to the podcast to help us delve into all things humour. Great idea. Let's go. Our guest joining us today is the one and only actor, author, writer and comedian Neil Malarkey. Now, you might recognise Neil from his performances in Whose Line Is It Anyway, two Austin Powers movies and last year's The Pentaveret on Netflix. He still performs most Sundays with the Comedy Store Players, who are Europe's top improv troupe, which he co-founded with Mike Myers. Neil now travels the world, bringing the skills of theatre and improv to his clients, within which humour plays a key role. Neil, welcome to the Being Human podcast. I was about to sneeze then. I, I didn't see you go. I thought that wasn't a good way to say Hello, Neil. Achoo. But if, I was thinking <laughs> laughter and sneezing and there's something else, are kind of in, involuntary reactions, aren't they? Um, <laughs> there is communicative laughter when you laugh to make somebody feel at home and spontaneous laughter. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, Amelia. I'm delighted to be here. Hello, Jeremy, as well. So, Neil, before we get into everything humour, can we ask you a few questions just to get to know you a bit better? Okay. If you could travel back in time, which era would you visit and why? I'd probably go back to the, when I was five, so ah. the 1960s. And we lived in France. My, my dad had applied for a job and they said, no, you can't have that job, but there's one in Paris. So my first memories of life are in France because we moved when I was two, so I don't remember that. So And then I was sad to leave France. And there's, there was a walnut tree in our garden. I said, one day I'll be back. And I haven't yet come back. So I want to go back to that tree and say hello. So that's a bit sad. Were you hoping for cavaliers or roundheads or um, no, no. Stone whatever, Age? Yeah, yeah I was whatever trying to think, you wanted. You know, which would I, like? what, I kept thinking, well, what if you got poorly? That was my issue. <laughs> <laughs> Medicine. Yeah. You know, it's all pretty good. And, but, you know, central heating, showers. Yeah, we quite enjoy those. <laughs> yeah. Now, there are aspects of modern life that are actually rather, rather pleasant, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So, Neil, uh, what's a talent that you have that not many people know about? They might not know my prowess at table tennis. Oh. Yes. So uh, one of the teachers at school was actually a, quite a big noise in the English Table Tennis Association. He was the referee of the English Open Championship. So we played against men's teams in an adult league. And then because he was referee of the World Table Tennis Championships in 1977... 
when I was, I hadn't been born actually, but he, <laughs> he got me to be his assistant. And uh, they all had these umpires and the officials had a particular kind of blue blazer. But I, I was uh, not allowed to wear that, but my mum knitted me one in the same colour. Oh. And Neil, so what's made you smile this week? Well, again, a boring answer. I thought about this and I thought, oh, children. But no, they're both in the midst of exams, so they're not particularly smiling at the moment. <laughs> but on Sunday night, I smiled a hell of a lot because it was the Comedy Store Players. Mm. And we had Stephen Frost, who's uh, marvellous. Ruth Bratt was our other guest. And, and we sometimes get difficult styles, you know, film or theatre styles. And somebody suggested Hamilton. And she sang a Hamilton story set wherever in the uh, song in the laundrette with Ishani Perrin Panagam playing the piano. And it was just amazing. I I did more than smile. I just kind of wept with uh, envy. But the comedy store players made me laugh week in, week out. Uh, It's just a joy. I get a free ticket every week to, to watch other people doing funny. Neil, what is the most boring thing about you? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think I've answered that three or four times already. <laughs> I, Give us another. <laughs> I like making lists. I must mm. say that. I, might, I like tidying my desk, although it's quite untidy most of the time. I like uh, a bit of predictability, but also I've come to love walking. I don't think that's boring, actually, but I've come to love walking. Since lockdown, I've walked a lot. Mm. Just that time, I remember when I walked to the comedy store and... Carnaby Street, Piccadilly Circus, literally not a soul there. So now I just walk and I think, oh, this is nice. I can have a walk and I'll get off one tube stop early. But I'm sure there's something much more boring about me as well. But lists are good. Yeah, lists, lists are very are good. good. Are, you, are you someone who writes lists of things that you have already done in order to get that satisfaction <laughs> yes, of, of ticking course, them off? Of yes, we all are. Are you someone that sees joy in things quite readily? Are you strike me as someone that's, for whom a smile is never too far away? That's right. I think that's right. And I do worry uh, about myself because I don't think I understand people who aren't like that. And and I know people are and I'm in contact with them much of the time. And I and I all I think is a bad thing happened. Of course, I've had a bad day, but the day doesn't go too long Mm. until I realize, oh, that's something in that's that's tragedy. But comedy will come out of it in time. Um, Mm. I generally think people are trying to help me and. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So I've had all sorts of disappointments in life and wrong turns. But in the end, I think, oh, well, that's okay because it led me to that place. Who knows? You can't undo stuff. I think that's probably my my uh, sense. So I will smile. And uh, I do like smiling at strangers. <laughs> and I, I wonder if I can get away with it. But just kind of, I always like it in other countries where, where they just smile at you. You know, in the country, people smile. Whereas yeah. in London, they you know might kill you, but I just yeah. <laughs> although the, there's a marked difference, isn't there, between a sort of a smile and a, and a sort of a, a forced smile or a grimace that can actually be quite terrifying. I think. <laughs> I'm curious, how did you go from social sciences as an undergraduate into the world of acting, comedy, and improv? Well, I always wanted to do comedy. I was in the school play, and it turned my head because I'd want to be a doctor. I did maths, physics, chemistry, A levels. Oh wow! And so I want to be a doctor. And then I was in the school play, and I thought, oh no, no, I want to be in show business. And I'd heard of the Cambridge Footlights because Monty Python, Peter Cook, and many others. So I thought I want to go to Cambridge. I was fed up with science at that stage, or maybe I was more interested in economics, actually, mm. about real life and things and organisations, I suppose. And uh, what I really wanted to do there was actually social and political science. Mm. And at Cambridge, you couldn't do that for three years. It was so odd. You had to do a grown-up subject first. 
Uh, so you had to do a part one or something else. So I did one year of economics and then transferred to SPS, social and political science. So by that stage, I was on the Footlights Committee, mm-hmm. along with Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. They were the big grown-ups and Emma Thompson. They got me on the committee. I was the treasurer in my second year. My dad said, is this what you want to do? And I said, yes. He could see how much I enjoyed it and I'd uh, you know, done pretty well to get on the Footlights Committee. So that was what was already happening. Mm. So I chose to go to Cambridge and uh, the subject was secondary, which is a shame because I really enjoyed it. And I've done a lot of reading, I suppose, in the last X years about that stuff. And that's probably why I've now sort of come out of comedy in some respects and gone back to something which is akin to my social science, social psychology uh, training that I got at that stage. Uh, So it was kind of, I started dipping my toe into the world of management training. And there was a whole subculture of this, of people borrowing skills from theatre and beyond to help people, leaders and and help people in organisations to do their jobs better. And improv was an absolute godsend to them because it was all about dealing with uncertainty. Mm. It was all about being creative in in uncertain times, ambiguous times. It was about dealing with people. And improv at its heart is just listen, work with what you're given. Don't be too stuck to a certain agenda. Be flexible and Actually, the byproduct is have a laugh. Mm. And see where it takes you. Let's dive into the topic of humour. How do you define humour? Oh, dear. This is, you start with the difficult ones. <laughs> I don't know. Humour creates laughter, but actually sometimes you don't even need something humorous to happen. Mm. Uh, we just laugh because it's surprising or that I love laughter yoga, which says maybe a joke will upset somebody. So we just sit there and laugh together. Somebody starts laughing and it becomes viral. As we know, it's incredibly viral. So humor to me uh, is something where we can share a smile, a moment of levity. We might laugh. It's not necessarily a huge guffaw. It may be a shared moment of recognition. And I think recognition is something that's fun uh that oh yeah that's true but also the surprise so there is no rule of comedy really sometimes say the most obvious thing sometimes say the weirdest thing the one thing i can say humor isn't laughing at somebody Mm. putting them down that you know banter it's just banter when i said a horrible thing to you i don't think that's humor humor to me is something human sharing uh our shared experience our equal sense that we're all vulnerable, we're all frail, we're all illogical. And that to me is what it is. Uh, That's very high level. But humour is something that could be just a smile. It can be an email, PS. It can be a huge laugh when somebody falls over deliberately. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or when you're on the improv stage and you say what everyone's thinking, or you say the most weird thing that even you didn't know where it came from. Have we all got access to it then, do you think? Yes, yes. People ask me this a lot and they say, oh, you know, and they'll say, oh, accountants, they're a bit dull, aren't they? And I work with accountants all the time and they're great. The other day I was working with a big hotel chain and who was the person who was funniest? We could barely get him off the stage. <laughs> the CFO, mm. the financial <laughs> director. Everyone has a sense of humour. It's different. For some it's silly, some it's wordplay, but generally we'll all find something funny. And I think that was something that came to me fairly recently. Your job as a leader is to find what makes your team laugh as individuals, because not everyone wants to dress up on Comic Relief Day. You know, yeah. not everyone wants a hilarious uh, Oscar Wilde pun. Um, 
on the other hand, and I, I sort of found an article today, is that the variables are age. So children want toilet humor. I'm not sure we ever quite grow out of that, but then then we're a bit <laughs> awkward in our teenage years. We we like to laugh at things that our parents don't get. Mm-hmm. And then we're a bit older, we're a bit more forgiving of ourselves and others. So as I've toured the world, introducing improv humor to all sorts of people, all sorts of different organizations, different countries, I found we all have a sense of humor. Mm. Uh, because I'm doing improvised humor, I'm not doing jokes the, the, did you hear the one about, and I referenced Theresa May or Tesco or whatever, they won't know who they are, but but generally it's in the moment humor. And this is what I would say to people in organizations, that tiny moment where you mentioned something they mentioned half an hour ago. And I think the, the best example I would have is, this is about the only thing I've taught my children, I think, is, is when you see somebody with a big hat, your reaction might be, oh, that's a big hat. But I've taught them <laughs> to go, oh, it's a shame he couldn't get a bigger one. <laughs> And that to me is humor <laughs> that doesn't, that trans, transcends any barrier. That slightly ironic thing of uh, noticing something, lateral thinking. Um, uh, often, as I've done these things in Shanghai, Singapore, Brazil, Eastern Europe, uh, Europe, America. It's basically, if you do little moments of where you say what somebody said, you might deliberately mishear cheese, you want some chicken, or just that. It doesn't have to be funny, funny. Uh, but I believe everyone has a sense of humour and it crosses cultural borders. So just as you're talking there and talking about how everybody has access to a, a sense of humour, why do you think we find it an attractive quality in others? Well, I th- I mean, I love people who make me laugh and uh, it's the most wonderful flirty thing you can do. <laughs> you, we all know what I mean by that. Yeah. And in the, in the back pages of Time Out, for example, a listings magazine in the old days, it would often ask for GSOH, good sense of humor, mm. you know, because if you can't laugh together, there are moments when you're cross with each other or moments of adversity, uh, that's going to be a shame. So if we can't overcome them with humor, uh, I think it's deeply attractive. I mean, you could look at psychology. I've got a friend, Professor Nigel Nicholson, uh, f- Emeritus Professor of Psychology and Organisational Behaviour at London Business School, and he's a Darwinian. Darwinian, so that sounds all tooth and claw, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, the survival of the fittest. And actually says, no, it's how, how societies evolve, you know, they adapt and change. And I said, why is sense of humour deemed to be a quality we want? Yeah. Um, and he said, actually, because it's a sign of bringing people together. Mm. In the primitive societies, the way they advanced was sharing food, sharing resources. And if you can make people laugh and seen as that, then you begin to bring people together. There's a connectedness yeah. over and above, shall we say, the, the day-to-day primitive needs. But uh, I feel connected. Oh, we're laughing together. Uh, you're not going to kill me. Sort yeah. of thing. There's an, an, an emotional sort of uh, bond of trust, isn't there? Uh, I think there yeah. is. And there is no greater compliment you can pay to someone than laugh with them. Yeah. Um, and there's no greater uh, connection I seek than if I can get a smile out of somebody. Uh, it's always a gentle thing, maybe something they've said or taken the mickey out of myself where I'm the butt of it, whatever. Often it's just a simple what we do in improv is the callback or the reincorporation, which is something they've said earlier and you throw it in later. 
you know, you would say that because you've just been skiing or something. And it's not, but it's not mm. ha ha ha, but it's just something they've mentioned something of 10 minutes later, you throw that reference in the callback, which is such a great thing in sitcoms and movies, curb your enthusiasm, the dog, the object, the person, the mm. mispronunciation then becomes a whole big deal. And we love that recurring joke. I can get somebody to warm to me and get a smile if I repeat what they've said or, you know, riff with them based on something they gave me. And that's why the humor I talk about is non-confrontational. It's actually, uh, it's authentic. They've said it to me, then they've set that space up for me to play in, if you like. And so I know that it's the easiest laugh I can get, if you like, without creating any disorder or, or malevolence or unease if I show I've listened because I've brought back a tiny word they've said. And people will notice it who come see lots of improv shows. And they say, well, I do that quite a lot, actually, now. (laughs) All I need to do is throw back a thing that they've said, and we get a smile. And that's Mm. one of the things I would say at networking, which is awfully dispiriting for some people, is just ask a few questions and then get them to chat about what they like, because we love talking about ourselves. There's all sorts of good chemicals that happen when we're talking about ourselves and then ask a few questions and then throw in a, a, a bit later and then introduce them to somebody else, reincorporate something they said, oh, she likes skiing, and but she's, you know, frightened of cheese or something like that. <laughs> uh, what sort of practical things can people do if they want to use humour um, more often to build bridges or to diffuse tension or, or whatever it might be. How, what tips have you got? Be careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I found a, a study, which is if you try to be funny and fail, it's worse than not trying. That's interesting. So the, uh, uh, we know that. Why are you looking at me, Amelia? Someone immediately comes to mind. <laughs> That's what I would say is people have this sense. Humour is the preserve of some people who are professional comedians and is dangerous because it might alienate somebody. And of course it can. Uh, so I found that there are there's different types of humour. Affiliative, I mentioned before, which is we're laughing at ourselves. We're laughing at how dire the situation. Gallows humour, the moment to break the tension. Disaffiliative is we're laughing at the outsider. Um, and there's the other one, which is people do to themselves, which is they, oh, I'm rubbish, I'm terrible, which is taking self-teasing too far. Mm. Uh, oh, I'm rubbish. I can't do it. Oh, people, nobody likes me. And you're creating a tr- sort of a loop in your head. It's almost like a self-confirming narrative. <laughs> yes, self-defeating narrative. And, and um, that's what Frank Farrelly said. I'm satirizing self-limiting beliefs. Anyway, humor is dangerous if you're trying to do it as a big thing with a capital H. All I say is use the improv humor that I would say we do in the moment. Just a gentle notice of what somebody's got. Uh, say in their background, you know, you can see what's in my background. I can see guitars in your background. We could just talk about that for a minute. And I could say, well, Jez, you're clearly, you know, you should be, you're an ax man. You should be in Led Zeppelin or something or some more modern reference. Keep talking, (laughs) keep talking, keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) But you see, I could just kind of try that out, try a little story. So what I would say is you don't have to be a joke teller. Right. Uh, Jokes are closed ended. Jokes are fine, but not everyone likes a joke and they kind of stop. Whereas running humor is fun running jokes, mentioning what somebody else mentioned, holding up a sort of slightly exaggerated version of what you might do, a crazy idea. What, how do we solve the problem? Of course, then that opens up ideas that might be more realistic, but don't try and be a joke teller. I would say encourage the moments when laughter can happen. Mm. Be a good laugher. 
be a good laugher. Oh, go on. Don't, what do you mean by that? That's that's interesting. Well, just when moments, <laughs> just like you know, we all laugh. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> okay, I was peeing on, but at a certain point, I couldn't stop myself, but you couldn't help it. So just laugh. <laughs> Allow laughter. And even if you've got a weird laugh, that's fine. Because there is something really contagious about it's laughing. I mean, contagious. I've seen I've seen those videos online of, you know, you have somebody who's laughing on the tube and you can't tell what on earth this person is laughing at. But then yeah. suddenly everybody's up in the carriage, like looking at them and, and they're all laughing as well. It is contagious that you're right. So, yeah, exactly. So find ways to, to find moments of humour, to bring those who do it naturally mm. and uh, into the moment. Uh just tiny things like how do you start a meeting, especially on Teams or Zoom or whatever, or yeah. Google video calls. Start with a moment of humour. Maybe just somebody's got an object. You know, this is my cat or this is what I'm pleased that's happened today. Something it doesn't have to be very profound. doesn't have to be very funny either. So there's a book called Humour Seriously. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. Excellent book. And basically their thing is it doesn't have to be a massive laugh. It just has to be appropriate. Yes. It almost is a smile or I mean, ah, right, you've put the dots together with there. It could be massive laugh. It could be a smile. And comedians, we have a kind of, you know, calibration, a guffaw, <laughs> a round of applause, uh, you know, a titter, a mm. smile uh, uh, or groan, whatever. Kind of we've got this calibration. So those are all allowed. Um, so don't try and go for a massive joke. You can see uh, so many times when people have done it in corporate presentations, Somebody once told me their CEO came on to the theme of Rocky in a sort of robe with the boxing glove, dun, 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 and then went to the lectern and then started reading out their chairman's or the CEO's report. Hello, everybody. Without any oh <laughs> humour. No explanation. I'm feeling uncomfortable boxing. just imagining it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I would say don't try and do joke jokes. So when I help people with presentations, I say, just tell me what's on your mind. Tell me a story. Uh, it doesn't have to be hugely funny, but it kind of could exemplify a point. Tell me that something is a bit embarrassing. One of my friends is a very successful entrepreneur, and he said uh, he would do speeches and he'd talk about the successes and he'd never get booked again. When he talked about his failures yeah. Yeah. with a smile, he's got continual booking. So so in a way, remember, tragedy is uh, uh, comedy is tragedy plus time. So if a humorous story where you're the butt of the joke, I think that's fine in, in a presentation. It also sends the message that humor has the wider sense of it does purge darkness. Uh, we've overcome this moment. Uh, as a leader, if I say a story when I was a bit rubbish in the past, it says to people, it's okay to fail or to mm. make a mistake. We can come through it if we learn from it. Uh, so there are lots of reasons why I think we should have humor, but don't try to impose it. Just see where it's happening. Encourage more of that. Neil, we wondered whether, as we've got you, we could do some kind of improv activity yes. that you could lead Amelia and I into <laughs> to experience the joy of improv firsthand. Well, exactly. The easiest one is where we do one word at a time. Okay. 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 So, you know, I'll be number one, Jez is two, Amelia three. Gotcha. Which we just start by doing a proverb. You know, never do this, always do that. Okay. Okay. So it might be, it lasts three words, it might last two words, or it might last 10. We'll see. So here okay. we go. Uh, just say your number one, two, three, 
Notice the energy. They did it quickly. Uh, so here we go. They're not worrying too much about being right or good. They're just going to throw myself in with a certain energy. My I'm heart rate quick. has increased. Yeah, I can't yeah. lie. That's, it good. that's all right. That's okay. Yeah. As, as long as it's not too much and you're going to start punching me, that's fine. That's just, it's heightened awareness. That's fine. Yes. Mine has as well. So here we go. Uh, always look out for pelicans. There we go. That's fine. Yeah. Deep wisdom. Now, what we have to do, and listeners can't see me do it, but I'm putting my fingers to my head and going deep wisdom. Deep oh. wisdom. So so always look out for pelicans. Okay? So that was it. That was So part of the offer you sometimes, that's the end one, you know. Okay, we could have just gone always look out. <laughs> so part of the fun is that's the end, and I go deep wisdom. There we go. Because Amelia, for example, mm. when Jez paused slightly before pelicans, didn't he? Yeah. What was in your head? What might you have said there? I would have said birds, I think, because I have a fear of birds. So I'm always on the lookout for them. So pelicans is a perfect one for me. I, to be honest, I had nothing in my head because that is my training. As an improviser, you Mm. don't know what the hell's going to go on. Uh, You do know that if we do it quickly and with energy, it'll be great because that's the joy of it. Rather than thinking, I've got to, my word's got to be the best word ever. Yeah, Uh, with too much pressure. This time, uh, let's do another proverb. So here we are. Uh, Never speak. Two. <laughs> Undertakers. Deep wisdom. There we go. <laughs> Unless somebody's dead. Yeah. So I, I was, the thing was, I was going through a mental Rolodex of all the jobs I've described. And thinking, I better not say that. Not say that. Which is, you don't want to self-censor. That's a terrible thing. So anyway, so we'll try a story. So uh, this is going to be um, a thing. Chris, uh, this is a day out at the... Uh, the zoo? Well, it's interesting because that's the one I always use. <laughs> Uh, so we go, yesterday I went to the zoo. Okay, I'll just get us in the zone. So yesterday... I... Went... To... The... Zoo. Sadly... My... Trolley... Fell... Into... The... Lion's... Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and... He... Started... To... Cry... In... Pain. Then a pelican shot across the enclosure and hit the side of the gorilla's enclosure. Then a child helped the pelican remove its beak from the side <laughs> of the gorilla's ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, we all thought ass. I was trying to get somebody to get the trolley out of the lion's mouth. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Very good. And I also was thinking, the zookeeper is thinking, why is there a trolley in the zoo? There's a lot going and on in that zoo. There was a lot going on. <laughs> and, you know, the next time we'd have less going on, actually. Mm. Because, you know, in terms of story, and story <laughs> is actually the basis of a lot of humour, if you like. And it's kind of we co-create a story in our head about what the punchline is. And then suddenly the punchline gives us a whole change you know that's how jokes work is you you're going along with a certain paradigm and then still a punchline oh and that's not what we expected that's joke theory if you you like but what (laughs) in when you do improv you think i've already got the problems you kind of what's the problem the problem is there's a trolley in the lion's mouth Mm. okay so we want to we want to get it out or 
uh, we want to know why the trolley was there. Is that the problem? Have you just come from Tesco's or something like that? So I was thinking not of new ideas, but, and this is where creativity comes. I was not thinking outside the box. I was trying to think what's in the box already. Well, something I noticed there was actually how quickly I started to feel very comfortable um, with inevitable failure. And uh, yeah, um, in my own, I should say. Well, no, you're absolutely right. This is Lee Simpson, one of the comedy store players who was also a brilliant theatre director with uh, Improbable Theatre. He said that really improv is your attitude to failure because all the scenes fail, really. Mm. We never quite get a perfect ending. And that's why I have somebody saying, you know, freeze or scene. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> there's a big laugh, finish. Um, and so it's how you deal with failure because, of course, quite often, the mistake, the failure. That's why when Amelia stopped herself, I thought that could be a whole nugget because mm. uh, that often happens in an improv scene where somebody mishears or says something they didn't mean or they couldn't remember. I, I couldn't remember one time the word for bollard, traffic bollard, <laughs> the trafficy thing, the plasticky. And of course, that became a great offer. Yeah. When somebody's saying, you know, hello, I'm the professor of plasticky things <laughs> sort of thing. So you make a positive out of the mistake. And that attitude to failure of course, means it's not really a failure. Well, so many, I feel, take-home messages there. Thank yeah. you so much, Neil, for joining us on our podcast. Well, as I say, come and see the Comedy Store players. You'll see us fail week in, week out. <laughs> yeah, um, it's our next just trip, Jez. enjoying it. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And hopefully uh, we have recorded this and my Wi-Fi hasn't been too dodgy. <laughs> no, I think we've got All it. All good. Wow. <laughs> what did you make of all of that? Yeah, it was a really, really great conversation. And I think for me, having initially said that I was a bit nervous going into a topic about humour, Neil really shared how important it is to seek those moments of levity and laughter and how that is of so much value compared to just trying to make a punchline joke in a situation where that isn't going to be appropriate. So a, really a lot of takeaways for me and a, a newfound love for a whole area of humour. Yeah, for me, I'd, it, there was like a subtlety in, yes. in terms of, of how you sort of go after it, really. You don't have to be, as you say, the person on stage delivering the kind of the killer one-liners. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, a couple of things sort of spring to mind. I, I like this idea of kind of reflecting on the truths around you and how they show up differently or unexpectedly. You know, mm. Neil's, Neil's line about the chat with a big hat, couldn't he have found a bigger hat? <laughs> um, I thought that was interesting. I thought, you know, the fact that there's often a smile or some joy and some laughter to be found in and around the truths that we see day in, day out. Yeah. And the other thing that struck me was, you know, if you're someone that, that doesn't naturally feel comfortable in the limelight, simply acknowledging that someone else has said something or done something that made you smile or laugh is enough to contribute, to add to an environment where levity and lightheartedness can work its magic. Definitely. Um, really, a really thought-provoking conversation, I think, and has broadened my perspective on what humour is Absolutely. And, and, and what it can bring to a situation and how available it is as a dynamic to all of us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But there's one thing we've forgotten to do, Jazz. You're right. How could we possibly forget? Never, ever forgotten. Now, previous listeners might have noticed a little jingle for our much-loved section, Boring Things About Me. Um, we took advantage of Ben and his piano in the studio a couple of episodes ago, and we've created some jingles to help us introduce this section. When people see me, they tend to turn away Because I'm boring 
Yes, so one of our favourite sections where we take a little bit of time to explore the more ordinary, potentially boring and common or garden aspects of our lives. So go on, Amelia, you kick us off. Okay, my boring thing about me um, this episode features my Sunday trip to Ikea. Um, It firstly began with a slow journey around the North Circular. Nice. Um, You know, what's new? But arrived and headed straight for the restaurant for the obligatory... Meatballs. Meatballs, exactly. Um, And then set off, you know fueled and ready to go round the showrooms. Elbows out. Elbows out. Yeah. You know, basket in hand. <laughs> yeah. Off we go. Yeah. On my list for IKEA, I had a wok, two lampshades, bedside table lamp, a desk chair and a toilet brush. Um picking up a few bits, having recently moved flats. Um this is what I walked out with from IKEA. Okay, go on. Two lampshades, a wok, a bedside lamp, picked up two bulbs for my bedside lamp a toilet brush, didn't manage the desk chair, overall quite pleased with my list. However, in addition, I also brought home with me five picture frames, two shoe holder racks, a silicon spatula, six wine glasses, two cushion covers, four candles, a pan lid organiser, a rug, two plastic plants, (laughs) and a packet of mini... Dime bars. It sounds like we're playing the generation game. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I, I did completely fall for the IKEA trap of picking up something from every aisle that I seem to walk through. What about you, Jez? What have you got for us? So for me, I'm going to go to a rich source of boring things about me. The allotment? The allotment, correct. Nice. Yeah. It's sprung into life, uh, which is very exciting. At the weekend, I was able to harvest the first fruits of my labour. So I made a lovely courgette salad and then scoffed the whole thing and it was absolutely delicious. Mm, did the family try it? No, no, and I didn't let them either. <laughs> this this was all about me. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. The ongoing battle with horsetail continues. This is a really deep-rooted, very invasive weed that seems to spread more quickly than I can pull it up. Mm. It's a living fossil, uh, which my kids thought was rather fitting for me to have in my allotment. <laughs> um, but a living fossil is a plant or an animal that hasn't evolved greatly for hundreds of millions of years, apparently. Um, but I'm not going to let that dampen my enthusiasm. The fight continues. So there we are, boring things about me. And that's all from us this episode. Please do hit the follow button so you never miss an update from us and give us a review on whatever channel you're listening from. Yeah, and if you've got any suggestions on topics you'd like us to explore or if you'd like to be a guest or if you want to talk to us about the work we do, please do get in touch. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Nurturing individual brilliance. Forging collective strength. And then you were on holiday in Bali, right? So come on, what did you enjoy? Sorry, I went, the right was a bit... Aggressive. Yeah. You will tell me about your holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hit it, Chris. Is that your... <laughs> <laughs> Here come the hot step. <laughs> you know we're recording. <laughs> oh, no, that's surely not... <laughs>